Let's talk digital. We are at the cutting edge of digital tweaks, changes, transformation. A local digital marketing podcast. Conversing with industry experts and getting excerpts about the exceptional. Hosted by Audrey Naidu. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. I'm really looking forward to what's coming up in South Africa in the next couple of months and years. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Hope you are keeping well and staying safe. All I can say is today we have an amazing human on the show, someone I have known for many years who is awe-inspiring and takes digital to another level. New technologies shift consumer expectations, challenge norms, and put pressure on organizations to respond. The pace can be overwhelming. For organizations hoping to remain viable in the future, the litmus test is to adapt fast and embrace innovation. It's not about bracing for a tidal wave, it's learning how to surf. In South Africa, the adoption of new technologies have been slow due to legacy technologies and systems, business models and corporate structures. In order for AI to work, organizations need to place it at the heart of their strategy, ensuring the enterprises honors three factors, technology, data and people. Today we talk to a techpreneur and a digital leading expert, currently CEO of Terraflow AI, professional international speaker, CEO of SciTech, which is a Google Cloud Platform Partner and Digital Director at Barclays Africa Group. Let's give a humongous welcome to Brett St. Clair. How's it, Brett? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Audrey. Uh, absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I'm so impressed with what you've been doing and I'm pretty privileged to be on your show. So thank you. No, thank you for making time. I know how busy you are. Um, Brett, I, everybody wants to know all about you. I mean, I've I've read your CV on LinkedIn and I've known you from Google days. I remember being really inspired by you um, taking me through programmatic buying, which then was like, oh, yes, I remember wow. that picture you drew for me. And the history, t- the history <laughs> the of history programmatic. Of demand side and supply side oh my gosh um yeah so you left google and you then went into cloud computing you are international um speaker on ai and all things digital um and then you you then i think you then was a founder of um what the f and I know there was innuendo in that, really. What's the future, Audrey? Come on. Okay. okay. Or, or in my case, where's the food? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then, then you even, I mean, then I, then I contacted you again when you uh, were at Barclays Africa. And then you left to found your own company. And then you've been doing that ever since. So um, tell us about your story. Sure. Um, as I always say, uh, in a nutshell, and then I tend to pretend I'm in a nutshell, really, really sad dad jokes. Um, but in a nutshell, I'm, uh, I've been in the game of technology for 20 years or 25 years. Am I getting that old? Um, and, and my career really started in, in London. And I was that individual that I didn't realize I was nominating myself. People would always step back when asked to step forward, it was always left with me in the front. And I was doing these crazy projects, uh, delivering telecom solutions all over Africa, 
um, Greenland, uh, the Baltic states, uh, East Asia, South America, uh, the, the crazy the place, even Mongolia, um, we were going and deploying technology. So for 10 years, I did that and came back home with kids and family in hand and got into the world of startups and failed miserably um, to the point where I joined a little business called AdMob that kind of turned my career around a lot. Um, because off the back of AdMob, which is a mobile advertising network, Google acquired us back in 2009. And next thing, you've got fat boy myself with no degree, um, suddenly speaking to experts like yourself, Audrey, uh, about the world of media and digital. And, and really, I was a technologist in a marketing space, which was the right time for the likes of the Google. Spent five years there, really did everything from running YouTube to running their Android division and finally running their cloud and uh, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning across Africa, which then inspired me to do another little startup. And then I found myself with you at EBSA and Barclays Africa, um, doing really techy stuff, you know, doing the DevOps and, and building digital tech. Um, so it was super fun, really enjoyed it, really got to experience what big businesses were like. And now I am the serial entrepreneur I love being at the cutting edge of technology and where my business is now is we're right at the cutting edge of making AI work. What a crazy journey it has been. I think, you know what, I am always amazed by your story um, because you're always kind of preempting the future and the market is not ready for you. Um, and and this is yeah last year you you started this company terraflow and and when you and i discussed the topic um and we said okay is this a dummy's view of ai transformation because why are people in south africa struggling with this um and then i said you know what ai transformation is not exactly rocket science so i think you know what maybe if you can start from the beginning and take us through what is what did you see happening in the market that was a need for your service and you're right. Um, most of the time, I'm a technologist. I look at the cool, funky technology, and I really love this world of digital transformation because it happens in all areas of a business. And what we're really seeing is, is business trying to automate as much of the engagement from a, a work point of view as well as the engagement with a customer. Um, that's probably the best way to distill it down. And in order to do that, you need to understand the data that you're working with, whether it's um, understanding the customer data and how you action off the back of that customer data or uh, understanding the, the, the data that you need to work internally to create the products and create the services to provide to your customer. Um, so we saw this gap in the market because what was happening is there were lots of people doing AI, and I use inverted commas here. With, and what I mean by that is they're really focused on machine learning. So people were saying, as a little consultancy going to businesses saying, listen, I can solve a problem for you using machine learning. Please give me some data. And they would spend six months trying to figure this out. Very clever people, generally statisticians who understand the world of data science. Um, and there are lots of them now everyone wants to become a data scientist and the gap we saw in the market was taking that model that they had figured out and solved the problem 
and actually moving it into a world where it could be productionized. What I mean by productionized is make it work. Make it work for your customer every day. Uh, Google's very good at productionizing those algorithms. So is Facebook. So is Amazon. It could be a recommendation engine. You know, in Amazon where you buy something and it says, we think you would like this too. And you buy more. <laughs> that is an algorithm that's been put into production that's working very well and it's continuously learning. Um, but the rest of business have no idea how to do that. So our little business, that's what we do. We help people understand their data. We help them understand how to make that data work in algorithms so they can use them in the real world. Um, and it's been fantastic for us. Yeah. It's, it's, we call ourselves the plumbers of the world of artificial intelligence. Wow, like interesting. <laughs> and you know what? Plumbers make a lot of money. Well, that's what I figured. You know, I keep saying to my kids, you know, stop playing rugby and hockey, learn a trade. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way to go these days, eh? Learning a trade, oh. meeting an unmet demand. Mm. Yeah, that's right, right? Yeah. Um, everyone wants to do a white collar job. And even in a white collar job, there are these jobs like data engineering and machine learning. Um, okay, I say we're doing the dirty work in plumbing. All the guys on my team um, have PhDs. So what that means is I'm easily officially the dumbest human being in our organization. So I like to take the role as the face. And even that, Audrey, I'm failing dismally. Mm. You know, not the prettiest face in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's your opinion, Brett. Listen, I think what you've what you've actually brought up is a very important point. Is it, don't you think it's rather intimidating when you go into organizations because you're looking at people that are you know highly intellectual, data scientists, and then you're trying to adopt this new technology or ways of working within organization. Why don't you take us through some of the roadblocks you've experienced when you go into companies? So we think about that every day. Um, some of the people we meet are phenomenal, right? As you say, they, uh, they come with uh, PhD or master's backgrounds. They really know their stuff. But because the technology, and it's back in the day, you and I with, uh, with display media, um, you know, now it seems very easy, right? It seems like surely we should all know how to place a media booking and understand the targeting and understand the dynamic nature of display. Um, but back then, not many people understood it. It was, it was a new trade. So that's what we're seeing in this world of AI. You've got you know, intelligent people trying to figure this out. You know, they've probably been in the role under a year or two, um, and they're stumbling through the same problems again and again and again. They don't notice it because they're stumbling through problems in their business, but millions of other businesses are going through those same problems. So what I often see in, in cycles of new technology is this feeling of imposter syndrome. Like you don't want to be caught out that you don't quite know how to do this or, you know, I haven't done this ever in my life. And in new technologies, you most likely haven't. Very few people have. Um, so what our roles are when we talk to them, we really empathize with their challenge. Um, there's one difference between us and our, a lot of our customers is we're doing this on a regular basis with many other businesses. And we guide them. We see our roles as a guide. The hero at the end of the day 
is them. Because at the end of the day, they have to take the risk. They have to take this live. And you know what it's like, Audrey, like bringing a campaign live or launching you know, an entire new uh, web uh, uh, site or, or proposal or, or campaign. It's difficult. Um, so it's really about making our customers the hero. Well, we fully well know deep down inside, there might be some feelings of being a, an imposter. And that's just your internal philosophical struggle, I think. Um, because everyone's suffering trying to figure out how to do this new technology in often an old legacy business. Um, so, so it can be a hurdle. So the way we approach it is empathize. Um, we completely understand what everyone's going through and we had a support and we had a guide and we want to make you a hero. Yeah, I've been reading a lot before this podcast on AI and, you know, where it's falling short um, in companies. And one of the biggest things I'm seeing is that the fear of loss of job, that machine is going to take over some of those tasks that humans previously did. What are your thoughts around um, AI and then the human intervention of that or the, the requirement that humans are still relevant and needed in their jobs? Uh, you've nailed a really good point there, Audrey. Um, so in our business, what we do is when we go meet with the clients, we generally understand how many people are in the departments and in the business. And we set a metric um, every week how many people they can file release. So we make it a target because what we want them to do is get rid of as many people as possible. So you get down to at least 1% of the staff remaining. Then I think we've done a really good job. I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> I'm like, see, I'm like, listening to the, what the hell? Great. <laughs> no one will buy. Your, no one's going to buy your product now. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we're gonna take your jobs away. <laughs> and then, so actually funny enough, I have a keynote <laughs> where I present to a lot of the finance guys. Wait, I'm still in shock. Off, <laughs> <laughs> I start off with you should like have that, seen go, my face. <laughs> people are like, What? <laughs> and I'll show a big headline article. Seventy percent of jobs will dissipate and then Forty percent, and I over exaggerate, and everyone's going. Oh. <laughs> and really, that's media blowing it out of proportion. They're, so the reality of where artificial intelligence is um, right now, it's we're five to ten years away of it having any real impact on the job market. There are some obvious areas that will be impacted, and it's generally around the mundane nature. So what we see is people are coming to us and wanting to automate process with artificial intelligence. And that's because they have these work queues where people are logging a request and trying, whether it's raising tickets, whether it's queries. And there's often a commonality where 70 to 80% of those queries are just mundane quick responses that are chewing up their resources. And so they, they have these long delays in trying to respond to customers. So where we see artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, really playing its role is working alongside humans. So how, how can you make sure that this technology enables humans to operate better and to be able to produce more uh, with the same amount of effort that they're currently doing? 
Um, most people are suffering burnout. Most people are suffering uh, burnout from the mundaneness. From you know, we really shouldn't be making people do some of these roles. So that's where artificial intelligence works really well. And if you fast forward five years, um, what we see is that humans can now do even more. So where we wanted to do a more sophisticated or a more challenging problem, we will use our companion in artificial intelligence to enable us to solve deeper, more complex problems. So it is never going to swap that. What we do see the side effect is it means a business can operate better. If a business can operate better, we can generate more revenues. We can generate more tax. Uh, we can generate a, a better society. Uh, for those who you know might not be able to, you know, so we, we can look at things like social income grants um, to help people who are struggling. Um, you know, we, we we can get better yield out of our crops, so we can feed people better. We can uh, build housing cheaper and faster to help other people. Um, there is always going to be a dark side to any technology, um, where there are going to be people who use AI for cybercrime, for instance. Um, so that is a challenge. But then the idea is we use AI to defend against cybercrime. Um, my, my, the strongest, uh, I guess, opinion or, or, or kind of warning I'd like to put out there is don't sit back and hide from it um, because then you will find your jobs missing um, because whoever is adopting AI will far out compete your business and you won't have a business to be playing in. So there is going to be this demand to push and stay current, exactly like in the days of Digital Audrey. If you didn't have a website, how were you going to compete with this new audience? If you didn't have a mobile app, how would you compete? The same thing is happening in AI. Uh, the, the only difference is it's happening faster. Mm. So I think from what you said is there's, there's two benefits. One is improving productivity within organizations and how people do their jobs much faster and efficiently to get to the end result. And the second thing is I would actually equate this to a better user experience. So looking at UI, UX, in in you know, fast tracking the customer experience to the brand because um, we know that from a consumer perspective, it's about instant gratification. You know, um, if you look at mobile and you mention mobile a lot, it's, it's almost now one second strategy. You know, uh, how can I find you quickly? How can I actually uh, take up your product at a quicker pace? Because that's the underlying factor with big tech companies, you know, like Amazon and Uber and all of that. Everybody is trying to enhance the experience of the customer. So take, you've nailed that on the head, Audrey. Um, take that, the, the, the angle of experience. Um, the future user interface is actually going to be voice. Um, and so, the voice needs to start in the form of chat. So like, you know, I'm a big fan of looking at how you use a chat interface to request things, whether you're a consumer or you're an end user in the organization. As that chat conversation evolves, because you need something called natural language processing, which is a form of AI. It uses machine learning to better understand the language of your business, the processes that you run, and how to engage in a conversation in a natural way. Um, 
So like, if you know that the future user interface of your business, whether it's an experience with a customer or an experience with your staff, is going to be voice, you need to start now to start training the engines over the next two to three years to understand the language and conversation of your business. It's hard to get right. But we're already seeing the uptake in voice interfaces. It's surging thanks to Siri, thanks to Google Assistant. Um, I know I'm a big fan of, you know, I, I use short prompt commands at the moment with my mobile device, uh, especially when it comes to listening to, say, YouTube. Um, I no longer touch my mobile device. Believe it or not, I've started doing gym. I know it doesn't look like it, <laughs> but my phone's on the other end of the room and I literally go, hey, Google. Um, Next song, please. And I must admit, I, I, I'm a I'm a very uh, polite um, user, so I like to use please, thank you, and I believe in manners. Mm. And I, I like to see assistants that also respond that way, like, sorry, we can't help you. Not, computer does not compute. Um, so you're right. That's that is where the world's going to. It's all about user experience and how do you create that personalized experience, which can go as far as a human conversation in the near future. Yeah, I think uh, many of us are, I think by default, gravitating towards voice without actually thinking about it. So so you're gonna see a faster pace of adoption with time. Correct, and it's just figuring out the, the social consequence. And I say social consequence, remember the uh, Google Glass uh, when that came out. And yes. I, I remember I had one. I loved it. I could do so much with it. And then very quickly, you became a glass hole. And and because socially, we weren't ready and didn't understand what that mechanism was doing in our interaction with other people. And the same thing with voice. You know, sometimes it's, you know, if you're in public transport, for instance, you're probably not going to ask to dial your best friend and you know or you, you, you'd rather do it without voice but when you're by yourself or um, you're going to use voice more and more and um, it'll be part of your natural engagement with technology mm. so I want to get back to the AI um, transformation uh, conversation in terms of what type of brands organizations are embracing this and when you and I chatted, you mentioned that it's mainly the type of leadership that is a key to driving this mandate. Yeah, so overall digital transformation um, is a very difficult thing to do because it involves uh, re-engineering a lot of your current technology sets as well as thinking about how you re-architecture the experience with it and also you're changing the way that you work um, to fit with this uh, dynamic way of delivering technology. So a digital transformation is a business or, or is generally driven by leadership who's saying, they make statements like, I want to be a technology business. They're empowered by purposeful missions. You know, like I want to help change the world. Um, you know, they, they think very differently, which means as you know, if you've been working in a certain way for 20 years, you're very resistant to this new language that you sing from from your leadership team to the technology that you're using because I've been comfortable 
using Outlook my whole life. Why should I change? Mm -hmm. All right, I mean, that's a classic example. Try to get someone not to use Outlook. I mean, it's a very old fashioned technology. Um, try get them to use, say, um, Telegram instead or Slack instead um, as an alternative to using it. Very, very different. Um, digital is really about having a fast-moving, flexible organization that is able to respond to one's customers' needs quickly. And our customers are incredibly demanding because the bar has been set by the Googles, the Facebooks, the the LinkedIn's, the you know all those service providers out of Silicon Valley, who provide the seamless experience that is very simplistic. You know, the, the, the you know they're not exposing their processes to the customer, and and the user interface is phenomenal, and the stability is phenomenal, and the scale is seamless, and the speed is 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 incredible. You know, all those things from the other side of the planet to us. And sometimes we struggle to even create something that's fast locally to a local end user. So the bar has been set very high and we have to respond. Otherwise, we are just going to lose our customers because it's no longer meeting their requirement around how they expect services and products to be delivered. So the digital transformation is difficult. It's got to start from your leadership. You've got to have your executive teams buying in to the vision and you've really got to be customer centric in absolutely all elements. And then the technology part, by the way, it's always evolving. So you actually want to create ways of working where you're open to changing technology. If it's not working for you, turn it off. Mm -hmm. And right now, if you look at larger organizations, they have procurement processes that could take 12 months alone. In 12 months, technology has almost doubled and halved in price. <laughs> you know, that's on an 18-month cycle. So often I say to large organizations, start with your procurement teams, then go to your HR teams because you want to start hiring and bringing in different thinkers. Um, and you need to make that sleep because often the hiring process takes six months to hire somebody. And once they're in your organization, can take three to six months to stabilize it. That's a year past. You know, if you if you're going to work for an Uber or a, any of these Silicon Valley companies, they'll source, vet, have you on board, and you'll be fully functional in a month or two. Yeah, with with new technology comes new challenges within organizations, and um, talking about human capital to sustain this, because once your team goes into organizations to implement. What happens when you leave? Do you still get outsourced to manage that and maintain it? I mean, would that not be a challenge that we need to solve for? Correct you, on the mark. So traditional software vendors helping larger clients um, tend to want to stay in there forever. So look at the Accenture, the Deloitte sitting in a bank, right? They're there forever. <laughs> um, the reality is that if the leadership is making a statement saying we want to be a technology company, the ownership of the core technologies that are important to you to manage your relationship with your customers needs to be developed and driven internally. So one of those is always going to be an algorithm and your data sets. So our business, we take a very different approach to it. We want to go in, help set up the right base and architecture 
get it working and we train the teams and we help them hire and source so that we can step away and go on to our next customer. And we're actually seeing this trend now globally where big business is actually saying, you know, we have to take ownership. We can't pay four or five times the rate to have an external person in my business who, if they decide to leave, they walk out with all my IP, especially in the technology space. And um, it's getting to a point whether you're an HR manager, whether you're a, a, a transactional banker, you actually need to be thinking about tooling yourself up in the world of technology or digital. Become an avid user, you know, have an opinion, teach yourself a way of working like, say, agile methodologies. Um, it's just becoming vital to do that. Um, so you're right, Audrey, uh, a lot of people are trying to keep the old model in place because it's always worked. I say that because when you compare to what the working environment is like today and your competitors, two very different worlds. Yeah, but that set of resources that you mentioned, it's very difficult to find that type of skill set in South Africa. I mean, where do you source this? So you need to take the same approach as uh, Google would, for instance. Um, so you're at the cutting edge of technology now. Um, if you're a technology business, you'll always be at the cutting edge. And technology is moving very quickly. So traditionally, uh, especially in a bank, for instance, what CIOs do is they vet every vendor and every technology and they test and make sure. Those days are gone. It's too much. It's too much and it's moving too quickly. Um, so you need to be getting the technology in, running it live. If it's not working, tweak or get rid of it. So, you know, all of a sudden you've got to take this ownership and you, you've got to take control of the, the, this new cutting edge technology. So in a Google, they don't go around and try find resource to do it. What they look for is attributes in human skill. So what I mean by that is, you know, as if you have this propensity to solve problems and you're open to continuously learning a new language or learning a new piece of technology, that's who you hire. You do not go and hire someone who has 20 years worth of Python experience. Okay, I don't even think there is such a thing. I mean, I did see a, a, an IBM ad looking for a Kubernetes expert with 12 years experience. Kubernetes has only been around for six years um, and in probably enterprise for about two years. So you know, we can no longer hire for just that specific skill set. What you've got to do is you've got to hire a person who's open to evolving and you need to be developing your own skills internally. So I look at our business, how many data engineers are there in South Africa? None. Um, so we put them through a six month program. We look for certain profile of people, generally problem solvers, people who want challenges and, and they're open to constant change. We bring them onto our teams, um, bright people, and we develop them and we give them experience. And that's exactly what a Google or a Facebook would do. Um, traditional business, kind of the way we used to hire, is we sit back now. We go, okay, I want you, 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 I'll just pay whatever, come into my business. And generally what happens is those people are not happy. Mm. So we've got to change how we are looking to hire because we want to keep those people by continuously giving them new challenges and problems. And, and that's a good thing. But it's no longer about saying, you know what? And by the way, on data engineering, there's no data engineering uh, skills in the UK either. So our little business, we're firing in the UK. 
um, because there's no skills there either. Everyone's going, I can't find any data engineers. Well, figure it out, hire somebody and, and we, we can help you train them and shape them and mold them. But it's when you're a technology business, it's not about just trying to find the skill, it's about investing in people. And I think in South Africa, as we are today, no time better. We have a dearth of unemployed people. Let's get them on board, invest in them, and turn them into income-producing tax base. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, the biggest gap, and I've got to be honest with you, is that when you talk about tech and AI, it's actually contained to specific departments, whether it's IT or MarTech or wherever tech resides, that's where the people are doing these projects and no one else in the organization is aware of it, let alone HR Crazy. people. I mean, Crazy. HR people have to be upskilled. They have to know what's going on in digital. And I'm often seeing that they're not understanding. So you spend more time educating these people on what you're doing to get buy-in. Um, so I think there is there's a lack of culture there's a lack of socialization within organizations, which then limits the possibilities of what can be done to actually shift organizations to new ways of working, to actually attracting the right workforce, because you need a new type of employee now, somebody who is more flexible, adaptable, somebody that can, who is open to learning new things, because like you said, um, jobs now are not actually structured. They're actually more fluid. People need to use the creative lateral thinking to, to apply themselves to any problem solving. I would say problem solving is the core of what people, the attribute that people need in the workplace right now. Audrey, I'd like to jump a little bit into your earlier statement. You've raised a very good point. Um, is the organizational structure. So you've got HR with absolutely no exposure or individuals or talent in their space to help think about digital AI, new tech. And all large organizations choose to have a centralized IT model. So they try to bring all the IT guys together and then they'll create the service arm as though they're servicing each of the different business units. That's a fail. There is a need to centralize some areas of your IT. But if you go to, say, someone at YouTube and you say to them, maybe it's the marketing director at YouTube, and you say to them, um, have you spoken to your tech guys? You know, have you been able to get time with your tech guys to figure this out? Um, the marketing director kind of look at you a bit kind of squiffied and go, yeah, but we're all technologists. So I understand my tech. I have access to whoever I want in tech to go and do whatever I need to do. There's no centralized pool. The technologists are spread throughout the organizations and they'll work with the salespeople and they'll work with the marketing people and they'll work with the HR people because every process can be automated. And business today is really about how do you automate to squeeze out as much of a, a ratio of cost versus profit um, and open up those margins? So you talk to these digital businesses, it's a distributed IT model if we had to use old-fashioned organizational structures. 
Um, and I think that's what large organizations need to get right. And they need to develop their own people. And they need to look for, as you say, problem solvers. Let's not go for people who have got 25 years of HR experience of sifting through uh, CVs and then matching keywords and then just organizing interview times. You should not be looking for that in an HR team. You should be looking for someone who's trying to match culture, who's trying to find effective ways to build pipelines of the right type of people to fit the right problem-solving environments that you have in your organization. Very different type of person, right? Yeah, I think this is not a stall for now because it's going to take time and effort and commitment to get it done. And like you said, it needs to be guided and sponsored by the leadership of every organization. Um, if you have a disconnect leadership, right? Um, they, uh, so what's important is you've got to get certain key metrics that you need to be monitoring so that you can pull the various levers. And digital transformation is really, you, you're, you're becoming a technology business. That's what you're becoming. So you're going to measure yourself beyond just a revenue figure or beyond, in a bank terms, the JAWS. Still never really quite understood what JAWS was. But anyway, it was a key metric that seemed to be measured in the exco. But there were no metrics around how the organization performing and automating, digitalizing and, and, and distributing and solving all these different problems. There's nothing like that. And that's what needs to be in place so the business is operating and thinking like a technology business. Yeah, like you said up front, it needs to actually be part of a corporate strategy because that's the only yeah. time you can start to apply these key metrics in what you measure how far you've actually uh, advanced in your efforts. But, and um, it can be yeah, hell, hey? It can be. It can be, be hell. Most people are like, I don't want to change. I've no. been doing this for 20 years. I don't want to change. And they will dig in. And so, I mean, I do come from, there are different views on how to manage this. Um, you, in this part, I'm probably not joking, and I should be joking. If you're not wanting to get on board, then get off. Hmm. And that's my kind of view. And, and, and there are various organizations like a GE who took that approach. 30% of your workforce went, fine, I don't want to be on board. I'm going to find a job where I can carry on doing what I want to be doing. Awesome. Good luck. Enjoy your career. And, but if you keep that, that deadwood in your organization, you're never going to be able to fully transform. You know, and, and this is a five-year, very painful process. So my advice is, you know, give people the opportunity who do not want to be part of this to move on. That should be step one. Unfortunately, that's the way to go. Um, you know, it's, it's as harsh as it sounds, but it's, it's a reality. Um, I wanted to quickly ask you a question because we spoke about large organizations. I know you service SMEs. Do you see a different approach on SMEs? Are they implementing it faster and maybe less hassles? What is your observation there? Uh, so um, on the Terraflow side, we actually stay away from SMEs. But in my days of Google, it's a, it was an SME-driven business. Um, and again, the SME is very much hinged on the founder. Um, what I do find interesting about SMEs, SMEs are the ones that can benefit the most because using these kind of cloud-based software as a service platforms, whether it's a, a monday.com to manage their workflows 
or a, a G Suite to manage their storage and their and their communications or a Slack. Um, the guys that are doing it set up in minutes and are off and are able to compete with the larger players. And then you still have a lot of SMEs are going, well, you know, and I'm, 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 a, I'm a carpenter. You know, I'm not a technologist. I don't need to do it. Or I'm a, I'm a, I look at my father-in-law. He, he makes locks. And I remember when, again, he's got the privilege of me hammering him to get <laughs> into the latest technology sets. And then they stopped, started adopting it and built an e-commerce environment. And their business is flying. Um, and there are 30 people. And they're in a huge market share. Um, so SMEs really, it depends on the founder. And if you're an SME and you are not building your processes or adopting software as a service, then you are going to struggle, full stop. Um, you do not have the, the human power to be able to do and compete against anyone else who is using technology to, to kind of accelerate their business. Mm, I think that is sound advice. So, Brett, in closing, what advice would you give to anyone who's thinking about getting into AI? I, um, no, uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was thinking of Ali G, there he goes, I. <laughs> um, so, uh, some advice on getting into AI. First of all, have a look at your life. And what I mean by that is have a look at the tools that you're using and see if you can spot where AI is being used. So an example of that is, do you use Waze or do you use Google Maps? Do you believe you are using AI there? If you can spot where the AI is being used, let's say route optimization based on traffic flow, that's all machine learning, that's AI. And you can see that, then you're starting to get a vision of where to use AI. If you can do that, then you're on your first step because then you start seeing it in like Gmail, you know, where you start typing and it completes your sentence already. <laughs> that is NLP. So that's understanding what you're going to write next. That's all AI. And you start looking and looking and looking and you realize your Facebook feed is all a recommendation engine, which is AI. So you start seeing it everywhere. So my view on AI is any business can use it anywhere. Whether you buy a piece of technology that is using AI to accelerate or provide recommendations or be predictive, and that's a great way to start. So anyone can get into the game and bring AI into your business. If you want to build an AI business, um, that's very difficult because what is an AI business? So I'm very much use AI to solve a problem that you would have done digitally. There's a great use of AI. And that way you're saying, you know what, people who come to me and go, I want to build an app. Well, what value are you offering and what problem are you solving? If you can get those two right, using an app, then do it. But sometimes you can bolt on artificial intelligence to give you further scale, to do more, to offer something different, and to offer more value, to solve more problems. Um, then that's a good way to get into AI. So you can either start using AI or you can start building solutions in the digital space that use AI. And if you want to get into pure AI, then my advice is do what we do. Hire some really, really bright PhD machine learning people. Understand it yourself. 
you're going to have to understand this technology as well as these guys. And you can either play in two areas. You can play in the world of data science or you can play in the world of data engineering. And those are your two core components to help other people make AI work in their organizations. So I think those are your three kind of areas in the landscape that you can play in. Okay, thank you. How can people get a hold of you if they want to utilize your service? Um, so get hold of me anytime. I'm, I'm, I love LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn's my place where I help people. Um, so whether you're looking for jobs, whether uh, you're looking for people, um, please, um, I'm running a little campaign over the last month because I'm I'm worried about COVID and I'm worried about the financial state of our economy and uh, really anyone who's listening to this and, and they, they might just want to have a chat. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or if you're looking for jobs, I have a very big network and the idea is I'm helping you the businesses find talented people or, or talented people finding amazing businesses. Um, and it's just a passion of mine to link it up because if we're not helping each other as industry, then how are we going to turn South Africa around? And so super important. Thank you for that, Audrey. Uh, thank you, Brett. Uh, it was wonderful having you on the show and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Superb. I'm privileged and honored to be on your show. I'm so pleased you invited me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. We're excited. You're excited. I really value and appreciate your support during this time. Helping decision makers navigate the change and to keep some change in their pockets. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow our Instagram handle at talkdigitalza. Engage us on our website at talkdigitalza.co.za. And who knows, you could be featuring on the next one.